From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. All right, welcome back to the Indie Weekly Podcast. So unless you've been living under a rock for the last 15 or whatever years, you know who Taylor Swift is. Maybe the most era-defining artist in music over that time span. So coming up today on the podcast, we're sharing a incredible interview with the man who was there from the beginning with Taylor Swift. Rick Barker was Taylor Swift's manager at the very early stages of her career and helped lay the foundation for Taylor Swift to become that globe-dominating artist that we all know her to be. So the reason why we're sharing it today is because we have the Indie 101 Music Conference uh, coming up online from May 1st to 3rd. And so we wanted to reach back into the Indie 101 archives to pull out this special interview. So this chat with Rick is from 2021, he, uh, where he gave the keynote at Indie 101. It's an incredible conversation. Rick not only was the first manager for Taylor Swift and uh, shares all kinds of stories and insights and lessons from those early years with Swift, but um, after that he became a consultant for record labels and just a kind of an all-round music industry and artist development guru. And um, you know, as you'll hear in the uh, in the interview, if you don't follow Rick Barker on Instagram, go do it because he shares some really outstanding content for artists there in terms of advice and tips and tricks and that kind of thing. So we're going to get to that in just a minute. And just a heads up, you'll hear a couple voices before Rick's at the start of it. One, of course, is Daryl Hers, um, Indie Week's founder, who you usually hear every week uh, on the podcast. And after that, um, you'll hear Daryl Spring, a well-known uh, radio personality here in Canada who acts as the interviewer for this, uh, this conversation with Rick Barker. But before we get to this week's conversation, we first have to acknowledge that the land on which Indie Week is based is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Ashinaabe, Métis, and the Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. We must also thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, the City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer who provide legal services in Atlanta, Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without the support of all of them, we couldn't do the work that we do for the music community. So a big, big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, let's get to this week's conversation. We're very lucky to have Rick Barker here today. Huge knowledge. If you do not already follow the Instagram channel, please do. There's great videos going up there. And that's where I'd known Rick first was following his channel. So uh, with that, I'm going to direct over to my other brother, Daryl, who is moderating the session. So Daryl, take it away. Thank you very much, Daryl. So my name quickly is Daryl Spring, and I've been uh, part of the of Indie Week when it was a, a live session, and now that it's it's gone online, uh, it, it's been really fun connecting with people in, as Daryl said, in this unique way. So it's a real pleasure for me to be able to host this session today. Uh, we have Rick Barker, and I guess I guess Rick, as a a job title, we could call you. We could say you're into music management. I learned just a couple minutes ago you own a ton of URLs, which is also very smart, but music manager would be the big title. And uh, your first client was Taylor Swift. So uh, that's quite an entry into the business. 
Well, it was not where I wanted to go with the business. Actually, I got into music because I loved. Uh, I, I I wasn't talented enough to be a musician. I wasn't disciplined enough to practice. Uh, but I always loved music. So radio was actually my entry into the music industry. And then I created the first ever radio tour where artists got paid, which put me on the radar of some record companies. And one of those record companies hired me to uh, be a regional record promoter for them. It was Big Machine Records. And at the time they had this little 15 year old girl named Taylor Swift that they said, hey, she's been writing songs for the past four years. Why don't you teach her the music business and get her out performing and things like that? And uh, one thing led to another. And six months later, her family asked me to be her manager. So it was kind of weird how it happened. Uh, it wasn't anything that I'd set out to do. Uh, it just kind of happened. And that's why when I left Taylor in 2008, uh, it was a real easy decision for me to make. Uh, my last year with her, I was gone 185 days and I would drive from Santa Barbara, California down to L.A., catch a plane, land in Nashville, catch a bus. We would tour. My daughter was four. My son was two. And I'd been gone 185 days that year. And I was about to go from salary. Uh, the reason that my book is called The $150,000 Music Degree is that's what my salary was to manage Taylor, which most managers don't get the luxury of being on a salary uh, but they wanted me to fo so focus solely on her and they were in a position to be able to make sure that me and my family were taken care of. But in 2008 is when I was going to go to a full commission and would have become an instant millionaire. And I'm like, all right, at what expense? At the expense of my family, at the expense of my marriage, at the expense of being a father to my kids. I, I grew up with divorced parents, so I knew the effect that, that, it, that it had on that. And I think because I never got into the business to be a manager, it was a real easy decision for me to make. Left Taylor in 2008, started uh, consulting uh, record companies. They saw something in me. I didn't even know what a consultant was. When I got offered my first job to consult Sony, I had to excuse myself and go to the restroom and call my wife and say, hey, go on Yahoo and type in, what does a consultant do? I'm being offered this job. I have no idea what it does. Uh, and she says, oh, it looks like they advise in areas of expertise and they get paid pretty well. So I immediately accepted the job as a consultant with Sony. And that was at the time when the record companies were wanting to take over the social media platforms for the artist. They saw that there was this audience that was available and they felt that the artist really wouldn't know what to do with it. So they were going to take it over. And that's where the damage started happening because you were handing your customer service portion of your business over to a sales department. So everything all of a sudden was artists should not follow fans. The artist should have a million followers and only have like five, or they should only follow other famous people. There was so much bad information that was being delivered at the time that, that I saw being counterproductive. And working with Taylor, we, we followed everybody back on MySpace. We loved on everyone. It's like, if, if you had interest in her, she had interest in you. And it just got weird. And then I started seeing artists just so happily give away their stuff. And then when they got dropped from the label, they didn't even know how to log into their accounts. And I'm like, what's going on here? So I watched that for a few years and I was managing some other artists and stuff. And then I just decided, I said, you know what? This was at a time, and I see a lot of faces on this meeting right now. This is at a time when every oil dad in Texas whose daughter could sing was showing up in Nashville with them dressed in sundresses and cowboy boots 
with a blank check for me to make their daughter the next Taylor Swift. And I'm like, whatever the recipe was, Rick, do it. That was it though, Daryl. That's what they thought. It was, they had to be a teenager and they had to wear sundresses and they had to wear cowboy boots. And I'm like, dude, about the work ethic, you know, what, what about the fact that from 12 to 16, all she did was write songs. All she did was focusing on getting the product right. And what it was doing is it was creating all these people showing up into Nashville with one song. And then whoever met them when they got here said, well, hey, you know, we can get the people that played on Taylor's record and directed Carrie Underwood's video. And also all these parents are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars because they're being guided by the wrong people. And I'm like, where are these people getting their information? This is bull. You know, so I went on. Well, they're being sold, not consulted. It seems. Well, what they were doing was, is that the people that were approaching them were still trying to work with an outdated model. They were still their their whole thing. If you worked for the record company, you knew one thing: you got to get a song to radio. And if you want it to be competitive, it has to cost this. And if you want to have a video, it's got to be a hundred thousand dollar video. The only difference was, is the banks at the labels are much larger sometimes than the banks of these independent artists, but they were being told by people that used to work at these companies, this is what you have to do. And if you're a parent and your kid's chasing their dream, you're going to do whatever it takes. And I'm like, if you have the oil money means to do so, I guess I want to jump back. I want to jump back. but But here's the sad part. Even when they didn't have the oil money, they were using inheritance. They were second mortgaging on their house. They were making some very poor decisions because they were being guided in the wrong way. And when I went online, I went to Google and I'm like, how to get a record deal, how to get a publishing deal, how to find a manager. And everything that was showing up was like old Clive Davis interviews from 10 years before. And no one who had had success doing it in the digital age was providing that information. All the people in Nashville came from the old model. And I'm like, that's when my light bulb went off. And I'm like, you know what? There's an opportunity here. So I went in, I went and I invested a boatload of cash and I started learning from the digital marketers. I started learning how to shoot videos. I started learning how to create courses. I said, because if I can be the voice of reason, I had a couple options. And for those of you that know me, uh, know I'm full disclosure. I thought of it like this. I could either manage three artists total. I could cross my fingers. I could hope that they're a priority at the label. I could hope that they got on the biggest tours that year. And I could hope that they could generate between 20 to $30 million a year. So I could make my 200 to 300,000 and it would take three people. That's all that would get my information. Or I thought about it like this. As long as people keep having babies that want to be famous, I never run out of a potential option and a potential client if I can create opportunities. So if I can create a $97 opportunity and a $1,000 opportunity, and I can do these, I can still make the same kind of money as if I was only working with three people, crossing my fingers, praying to the Lord or whoever you pray to that everything works out the way that it's supposed to have a lot of stress in my life, or I could serve the independent artist community and I could do it on scale with less stress And that's when I shifted everything in 2013 and said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to help people build, nurture, and monetize their fan bases. I'm going to show them the same strategies. If commonsense.com would have been available, you talked about URLs, I would have bought it because everything I teach is common sense. It's like like if you won't do it, they won't do it. 
If you're not there, they're not there. So I just really started focusing on creating opportunities. And that's how I ended up winning. I ended up winning because I was able to serve more people. I was able to affect more lives. I was able to help. I always tell the creatives, you create it. I'll help you get rid of it. And I went in and I spent thousands of dollars to learn from the best people doing social media, the best people, because they weren't in the music space. Okay. The music space is late to the party, unfortunately, and a lot of things. So I said, Hey, I'm just going to be the guy that brings it to the party and having Taylor Swift and Sony music and American idol and all those things on my resume didn't hurt the cause either. You know, you, you mentioned a, a lot there and that, that I wanted to try to, to dig into one thing about the letting the creatives be creative and, you know, not trying to wear too many hats, which everybody does right now, because some people who are great at creating are, are not great at going out and selling. I know because artists I'm- suck at selling. They're scared shitless of selling. You know, they sit there on stage, they can sing their songs, but when they start to talk, they're like, blah, blah, blah. it's like they, they know what they know, but it's because they've never been trained. It's like, they didn't wake up and not all of them are prodigies. They didn't wake up and know how to play chords or, do any of these things, but what they do is they, they are, they are artists. And I say this to all of you guys respectfully, everything I love about you is everything I hate about you, but we need you to be artists. Cause I'm not getting my ass up on stage and singing and doing the things that you do. But what happens is, is you, you put it into your brain immediately that you can't do something if it's not as part of the making music. And that's not true. You guys are more capable then you're aware of, you just haven't been taught how to do it. So if you can adjust your mindset to go back to the beginning and say, before I knew how to do vocal warmups, I had to be taught how to do vocal warmups. Before I knew how to write, before I knew how to play, before I knew how to perform. So just add, before I knew how to market, because all of you are digital marketers. If you want this to be a business and not a hobby, get over yourselves and realize I am a digital marketer. I am a salesperson because if not, the person with less talent is going to get the money that you're afraid to ask for. So that's that's just a given at that point. I've seen this on the biggest scale that I think I've seen what you're talking about is in the DJ world, because in in the DJ world, it no longer matters about talent, you know a lot of them show up with a USB stick and play and jump around and wave their hands in the air. And it's about creating some sort of spectacle and transferring that online to gather a following. That is more important than the most technical, most skilled, most talented DJ in the world. Um, and yes, sad, but that's the way it's gone. Right. And it's, you're kind of getting at that a little bit. I don't think to that scale of like, we're, all the musicians here are still going to play their songs and play music and because that's what they do. But the marketing part of that is, is so- here's the thing. The internet is the best thing in the world and it's the worst thing in the world. And the, what I mean by that is that it's very noisy. So how are you going to stand out too often artists sit around trying to wait to be discovered. We, we discover planets and cures for diseases. We don't discover people. You know, it's like if you're not going to do whatever you can, it's like the artists that I work with, the artists that are in my coaching program, their goal, I tell them, your goal every day should be, how do I get my music heard by as many people as possible? How do I get my message in front of as many people as possible? 
that's we have all the tools and all the resources right now. It's never been a better time to be in the music industry, and it's never been the worst time to be in the music industry because here's the part that sucks. The consumer does not have to pay to consume your product. How many businesses would survive if someone could walk in and take whatever it is that they want? So then how is it that we can then get paid? How can we be in a business? They're ultimately going to invest in the relationship. And that's what I focus on. I focus on teaching people how to use the tools to build those relationships. Because think about this for a second. How many of you have walked up on on the street, have been approached by a stranger asking for money, and you've given them money? We all probably have at some point in our lives. Why? Because they asked for it. We had no connection to them. We did not know them, probably not until they came up. But every day, you're an artist on Instagram Live, Facebook Live. You're showing up in front of this audience. They are not going to think of... Hey, real quick in the chat, how much money do you need this week to survive? Are you recording? A, are you, you know, wanting to fund for a record? No, you have to tell them what it is that you need because they think you've already got it going on. Your music's on Spotify. You got this cool looking website. They don't think you need anything because you're not asking. At some point, you can do it in a non-creepy way where it doesn't sound like you're what you know you just have to be taught yeah yeah what i wanted to say is that if you've given money to someone on the street it's probably because you found something endearing about that person um i i mean i specifically remember and this was this was probably in the late 90s and i was walking down queen street west and there's someone who was asking for money and he he just he's like hey man got a spare change for a penis enlargement i'm a little short and to, he made me laugh so i was like all right you win you know it wasn't a great joke but it was better than it worked yeah, like he, there's yeah. a bit of personality there. So I think that, that having that, that endearing quality um, allows you to ask for the things. Well, that- we spend a lot of time in my trainings focusing on the messaging because it's all in the messaging. I mean, anything in life, if you think about this for a second, it's a hook, a story, and then an offer. Have you ever experienced heartbreak? Whoa, okay, I've experienced heartbreak. I've kind of got a hook. Is your name Petra? If it is, name Ray. Okay, so I saw you first. I'm going to say, you know, hey, guys, it's Petra. And, you know, I've also experienced that. And, you know, over the last week, all these thoughts started running through my head. And I started writing this song. And, you know, so now you're telling the story behind what they've just acknowledged, the hook. They just got hooked. Yes, I've experienced heartbreak. I'm Petra. I've also experienced heartbreak. And I wrote this song. Take a listen. That's the offer. That's sometimes all we need to get them to do, especially with Instagram and Facebook, is to play, is to push play. You know, we call it active listening. Everyone's so focused on getting on playlist, which is obnoxious. And I'll tell you why. One, there's no DJs on playlist. So somebody doesn't even know that it's you. It's passively playing in the background. No one chose to hear you, but that's where they want to focus all their attention. And I'm like, hell no, drop it on Instagram. As soon as they play, push play, we can send an ad to the people that have engaged with you on Instagram or Facebook or things that you know. So my whole goal is to teach you how to get more active listeners, not just passive listeners, because ultimately in the relationship with an active listener, you're going to make a lot more money off a t-shirt than you would off at 20,000 streams 
on any one of these streaming platforms. Okay. I was just going to ask about the streaming numbers because there's such a hyper focus on the importance of- But they can be bought. Streaming numbers can be bought. Monthly followers cannot be bought. Engagement on your social posts can't, you know, the, the anybody who's sharing and commenting, it's like the, the record companies got screwed uh, because of this other little Canadian named Justin Bieber. Justin Bieber had all this success on YouTube. So the A&R department started going out, finding every kid that had a million views on a YouTube song and signed them to record deals with stupid advance money. What they did not think about was this. How did these kids build that audience off of familiar songs, familiar melodies, familiar hooks? They were singing just exactly like the same artist. And a million people who happened to be searching on YouTube said, oh, this is a pretty cool video. I'll like it. But when they went to put out their original material, the songs weren't as good. There was no connection to that singer whatsoever. Justin was different. He was an anomaly at the time. Sean Mendez, everybody, oh shit, we got to go to Vine. The, you know, Sean Mendez got discovered on Vine. Oh my gosh, we got to go over to TikTok. It's like, stop chasing, write the best songs that you can write. Focus on the people that you have in your world because you do not need millions of people in order to have success in today's music business. You need to have the people that believe in you. You could have the perfect strategy in the world. And if there was a perfect recipe and you had it, it doesn't matter if the song doesn't, isn't good. So Correct. Correct. Yeah. Because no two artists' career paths have ever been the same. Right. None. Think about it. None of them have ever been the same. But also, too, is that your rewards are not in direct proportion to the work that you put in, which sucks. Because in most businesses, you hire more people, you buy more equipment, you throw money at it. There's a lot of people with a lot of money that haven't had, if money was the answer and everybody says, well, Rick, it's all about the relationships and the money. And if I only had, I'm like, then why hasn't every person that Puff Daddy's ever put his money and his relationships and his producers and his songwriters into had success? I'm just throwing it out there. You know, that's the thing about me. I may not have finished high school. I may not have gone to college. But I ask really good freaking questions because I'm always going to go in and say, okay, if this, if this is the answer to all of this, then why isn't it happening every single time? Why isn't it that every single artist, uh, you'll hear this all the time. Man, I got to get, I hear this a lot when I spoke at Canadian Music Week and I have a lot of Canadians in my world. They'll say, man, if I could only get to the United States. The weekend didn't get to the US first. Justin Bieber didn't get to the U.S. first. Alicia Cara didn't get to the U.S. first. They did it where they were. It's just your music isn't right yet, or you haven't found the right audience. That's the answer to your questions right now. So if you, if it's not working, it's usually one, the music, or it's the music's not getting in front of the right audience. Too often, artists are just throwing everything out into the world. They're just praying. Oh boy, I hope this thing sticks. I hope this thing sticks. And what I mentioned, I referenced that too, is it doesn't matter how great my hamburger is. If I open up my stand in a town of vegetarians, I screwed myself. I think too often artists are just trying to feed their music to everyone. Stop it. Go find your audience and serve them and you will start having success. Success may start as more followers. It may start as more comments. It may start as more downloads. It may start as a lot of different things, 
but you've got to find your audience. It's the three R's, the right message, the right audience, and one, the right messenger. Sometimes you may be the wrong messenger. So it's like, I call it the three R's. One of the things that you mentioned has a lot of parallels to podcasting, and that's about finding your audience. And one thing that I hear in the podcast world is being more niche and, and being more hyper-focused is an advantage where yes. some people might think that's like an artist might think, well, I, I want to, you know, cast a big net or whatever. And that's kind of what you were mentioning a second ago, but that's not necessarily the way being super niche laser focused into what some people might say obscure or weird or different or alternative or whatever. Yeah. Can't be a good thing. Well, think about this. I mean, I could cast a very wide net and attract all kinds of people that want to be in the music industry, but that's not how I roll. If you want to be famous, I'm not your dude. If you are, uh, if you want to do the work, you understand that this is a business and it takes money and it takes investment. And you're wanting to know what you should be investing in. Then I'm your guy. And that's what I tell them. It's like when opportunity knocks, do you know who answers the door? Hard work. When an opportunity knocks for someone to make an NBA team, the work starts. No matter whenever opportunity knocks on the other side is hard work. Everyone seems to think that when the door opens, it's like, you just got to open a door. It's like, no, you have to be prepared when that door opens. It's like the industry is looking for reasons to say no right now because it's so crowded. Let's not give them any. Let's be patient. Let's get this stuff right. A mentor of mine actually said that, uh, that luck is bullshit. It's just being prepared for an unexpected opportunity. Yeah. And the thing is, is most people don't understand sometimes what opportunities are. Today is a great opportunity. Okay. You may hear something, you may see something, something may happen, but you know what? This opportunity didn't create itself. You guys all took action to be here for this. And I tell people that sometimes they're like, Hey, the opportunity might be that I responded back to you on Instagram to say, listen, no, I don't listen to music of people that I don't know, but that's not the best use of either of our time. I always tell them, I'm the last guy you want listening to your music because what if your music isn't like what I like? The worst thing that an artist could do is to get too many industry people to hear their stuff because then you're going to go, oh crap, Rick wanted this and Daryl wanted this and this, and then you're going to go, you know, you're already freaked out enough as it is. Why bring that on? I always say, what do your fans think about it? That's all I care about. What do your fans think about it? You know, why don't you ask me to take a look at your website? Why don't you ask me, hey, Rick, do you have a course? It's like, I'm, I'm listening to a great book. I say listening because I'm an audible guy. I hate to just physically read unless I'm going to mark something up. But it's called who, not how. We'll always start things like, how do I get more followers? How do I write better songs? Instead of saying, who can show me? Who can teach me? Start looking for the who's in your life. The how's are going to drive you crazy and it's going to take a lot of unnecessary time and it's going to cost you a lot of unnecessary money. If you go look for the who's who've already done it, now you're going to save time. You're going to end up saving money. Yes, a who may cost you money, but stop looking at as, as things as cost and investments. Everything I make is an investment. I It's like... I don't, my employees are not an, a cost for me. They're an investment. Why? Because they free up my time. Why? Because they allow me to focus on the things that I, I want to work on. So start looking at things that come in your life as, is this a smart investment? Don't look at it as a cost. 
Okay. That's wrong way to look at anything. Is this an investment I need to make right now? That's what you want to look at. Is this an investment I need to make right now? If your music's not good enough, focus solely on getting the music right. That's where your investment needs to be. Once you get your music right, then your investment needs to say, okay, how do I now get this out into the world? How do I now build these relationships? Do I have everything set up? So if all of a sudden, you know, a million people come to my website, am I able to capture, you know? So there's a lot of stuff that needs to go on ahead of time. It's just making sure that you've got everything lined up in the right order. You're tapping into something here that I think is a good lesson for almost anything in life. And that's not trying to deliver what you think an audience might want or trying to what, you know, what does so-and-so want or what's going to be marketable or whatever. I think it, when things come across as genuine, then that's what, that's what people want. So, um, you know, I think being yourself and that goes for, I, I, I would see this from, um, you know, also radio announcers and people who deliver content is like, well, what do I have to do to be good at this? Or what do I have to do to get popular? And it's, I, I think being, you know, vulnerable, human, relatable, genuine, all of that stuff is, is the, the answer to, you know, what do people want? It's super important. They want to know that you know them too. And, and, and people don't care until they know that you care. That's, yeah. that's it. They're, they're so accustomed to, you know, it's, it's funny. Somebody asked me last year, they're like, dude, what is it that you do for a living? You know, I, I'll see friends of mine and I said, well, I guess it's called social distancing. I said, there wasn't a name for it before. I've been teaching people on Zoom and live streaming for the last three years. I said, so all of a sudden, it's like what I've been sharing with people to do, all of a sudden, now you started seeing famous people doing it. And I'm like, this opportunity was available to them. I mean, think about when you go to a concert, are you actually connecting with that artist that's on stage? No, you're connecting with the crowd. You're connecting with the energy in the room. But when John Legend is sitting at his computer and he looks at the screen and he sees you and he acknowledges you. Now that's a connection. That's valuable. Now, all of a sudden that online connection can be taken offline. And that's what I shared with my artists. When we're getting on our coaching calls, I'm like, look, these online relationships you're building right now, you're going to see your merch sales go up a ton when you get back to doing live shows, because they're all going to want to come hang out with their friend that they feel they know now, because they don't know you when you're on stage. There's too many many distractions. There's the people at the bar. There's the, the person in front you can't hear that's got the phone up and you can't see. There's no connection being made to the artist, in my opinion, at the live show. The connection can be made now online. The behind the scenes stuff is a connection. The Facebook lives, Instagram lives, Twitch, they're all these cool interactive connections making you feel a little bit more closer to your fan and your fan feeling closer to you that you can now take that when we get to go back and start doing shows again. When do you think that is going to be? It's already happening in certain parts of the world. It's going to be let out in doses. I, I say if for the major industry, which got screwed, the music business had its best year ever last year. The music industry got screwed because the music industry was based on touring. So when the managers aren't getting paid, the crews aren't getting paid, the biggest payback on a 360 deal is touring and merch. And that wasn't happening. The industry got really jacked up. The music business did amazingly well. So what I tell everyone to do is this. Start taking a look at the basketball arenas 
at what capacity they're going to start letting people back in because that's where most of the indoor shows are at of the major artist. Uh, they're going to, if you're only able to be at 25% capacity or 50% capacity in one of those rooms, can you imagine what the ticket price is going to have to be now to make up for the other? So that's what they're looking at right now. Some people will start back up in September. I'm friends with the guys from Dan and Shay. They're still on point to start in December. Uh, they just announced in Nashville, we'll have our 4th of July bash with Brad Paisley. There's some outdoor shows. I think the outdoor shows are going to come back before full capacity on the indoor shows, but that doesn't have anything to do with any of you guys. That's the cool part. It's like, when can the clubs get at capacity? Can I show up? I mean, I've got clients right now making $4,500 to $5,000 a month They online. They weren't doing that even when they were touring. Well, what they about how to do it? this group of musicians that we have here? Will this type of artist have the first crack at the, the can, so to speak, when it comes to live shows? Because it, it could be regional. It could be local. Uh, where yeah, well, what's going to happen is this, is you're going to, you need to start making those phone calls now to the venues that you have relationships with because every booking agent in the world is going to try to make up for lost time. And they're going to be offering some of these artists signed to labels dirt cheap in order to start generating some kind of income. So don't wait till the last minute. Go ahead and plant the seed. Go ahead and try to book a few of those dates. Even if they get canceled later, try to book them now because the industry, it's like artists that are trying to get signed to labels right now. The labels are having to make up for what they lost with the artists they've already got signed from last year. So I don't see, unless you get a viral hit or unless you've got something that they absolutely want to jump on now because you started the movement, you started the fire and they just want to pour their gasoline on it. Don't start chasing that route right now because you're wasting your time. They have they have to make back what they've already invested in those other particular artists. So know, though, that they're coming after every available club gig. They're coming after every available thing. They're going to be on the phone with those venues trying to get those things booked for their artist. So if you're an independent artist and you are your own manager and your own record label and your own publishing company and your own booking agent, which most of you are, start getting on the phone now, start reaching out to those people and start planting the seed for them to consider you for any of these opportunities. When, when we start to get to those opportunities and they do arise, uh, what do you think it looks like? There's some talk and rumors and I mean, nothing is, is certain yet, but having like a vaccine passport in order to get into. I don't want to discuss that because I can't control any of that. Who cares? You play for however many people are there, whether they got a vaccine passport or they don't have a vaccine passport, just show up and play. Okay, I was getting what I was trying to get to is that artists who that might want to play in certain venues, um, would a venue have this the ability? I don't know what a venue will have, so that's why I don't want to discuss it. I can't predict what a venue in Canada or the U.S. is going to do. Okay. I, I don't want to waste time on things that I can't answer questions for. Who who knows what they're going to do? Just show up and do the best you can. And whatever venue allows you to do it. If you're scared and you want to stay home, stay home. If you'd only want to play for people that are wearing masks, great. If you only want to play for people that have been vaccinated, great. You've just got to do you. So I don't want to tell anyone what they should or should not do uh, because I don't care. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't affect me at all. I wasn't saying I, what I was getting at was, is there a sense in the industry of what it looks like? Not No, no one knows what it looks like. 
Yeah, there is there is no sense of anything. There, it's it's the wild wild west right now. Nobody knows because yeah. once you think you know, then some piece of legislature gets play, put into place that you can't. Get. So that's what I mean. No, all people are trying to do right now is put themselves in a position to act. If it says we need everybody in the band and everybody in the crew to get a vaccine, they're going to wait till they're told we can't have this tour unless everybody gets a vaccine. And then they're all going to be running to get their shots. No one knows what's going to be expected, but everyone on this call shouldn't care because it's not going to affect. The only thing that's going to affect each and every one of you is the person that's staring back at you in the mirror. That's the only person that's going to affect anything. If you get presented with an opportunity, it's up to you to decide whether that's the right opportunity for you. Some people may not want to play in small rooms right now. That is okay. Is that right? Yes. Is that wrong? Yes. It's whatever's right or wrong for you. And don't get yourself in a position to go. Do not ever bend. Okay. I'm saying that. Do not ever bend because in the back of your mind, you're going to go, shit, I shouldn't have bent. I should have stuck with it. It's like sometimes we adapt and sometimes we make bad decisions because every decision that you make is the right decision at that time. Now, the consequences may turn out to be wrong later, but it was the right decision at that time that you made it. I don't ever worry about decisions that people make. I worry about how do they handle the consequences from that decision because there's consequences, whether it's the right thing, the wrong thing. Some things we go in with the best intention and then there's stuff that's out of our control that we couldn't handle. And we're, and so we don't beat, I don't, I never beat myself up over something that I can't control. Yeah. I did for many years. The word should a game is, is a it's, it's bull, but, but so many people will focus on that. Yeah. And I'm like, and trust me, everything I'm sharing with you guys right now is from experience. Did I spend my time online trying to convince every person to like me? Yes. Did I spend every trying to convince people to believe what I believe? Yes. And then I realized they don't even deserve my energy. I let me go focus on the people that deserve that attention. And, and do I really want a whole bunch of people around me that believe everything that I believe? No, it'd be a boring life. Yeah, nothing's worse than, especially uh, like I think of it in terms of a morning show or something like that. Three yeah. people agree on everything. Yeah. It's boring. It's yeah. Very- Real quick, I want to answer this one little quick question. Where's So Jessica asks, between three pla- these three platforms, which one should I pay more attention to publish my posts since I wear many hats? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, it's wherever your people are. All of them. That's where you focus your attention. There is no right answer for each and every one of you. My whole thing is this. I focus my attention on Instagram. I'm present everywhere because I know how to schedule. So every day you're going to see me on these other platforms. If you want to get a hold of me, DM me on Instagram. That's the only place I'm responding back. I'm not hanging out. So you need to be everywhere for discovery reasons only. But I would say, focus your attention on the one place that you like being there, maybe selfish, but you have to like being there and where you feel that's where your audience is. So there is no right or wrong answer. All of you need to just find the one that's right for you. You need to be present on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, That's where most of the music fans are, but you don't have to physically be present there every day, but, but you need to be able to show up there. And I teach a lot of that in a free social media training. If you go to socialmediaformusic.com, 
There's a whole presentation I do on the things you should be doing now. I even talk about the things you should not be doing anymore. Good news is we don't have to be everywhere posting multiple times a day. Hurrah. So yeah, so I talk about that, but it's socialmediaformusic.com. If you can also get handles consistent on each platform, um, then you can have like wherever you're appear or whatever, you know, at whatever that is. If it's the yes. same at on Twitter as it is on Instagram, that is beyond ideal. Where you want to be careful. And, and the thing is, is now it's probably too late if you haven't gotten it all on everything, is I drive most people to my website because then I can just have an icon and they link and they don't really see what's under it. So if you don't get that, don't panic. You could add the word music or official or something after whatever the most common one is that you have. If for whatever reason, it's not there. Also, Jessica said, uh, I did pay three weeks of advance at Facebook link in my YouTube channel. One bit of advice I'll just give all of you guys right now. Don't use Facebook to try to send people to any place else. No one's on Facebook because if they want to go to YouTube, they're going to be in YouTube. If they're in Facebook, provide a full video in Facebook. It's called native post. Just each platform speaks a different language. Learn how to speak those languages, but don't try to throw people from platform to platform just because you think it's going to happen. It's not. And when they don't do anything, which they won't, it's going to affect your engagement. And then our good friend, Al Go Rhythm, uh, is going to screw you. So let's not do anything there to do that. And I'll teach you all of that in that free training. That's what I was going to say is that uh, it, you used to like paste a YouTube URL on Facebook and you could watch that YouTube video right in the, you wouldn't have to leave. Well, you can embed it now. <clears throat> yeah. But so if you, when you, you put a link for people to leave Facebook. Well, the reason why is because Google owns YouTube. So Facebook wants you buying Facebook ads, not Google. Exactly. ads. Exactly. So, and they also know as well that they only get so much real estate. So, cause think about how, how do we on our phone, we just kind of scroll. We're just kind of scrolling. So if we're not engaging with you, Facebook could have used that space for somebody else. So they're always going to try to do everything they can to keep you on that platform as long as possible. So if they're not going to show me a bunch of stuff I've never engaged with because they don't want me to leave and go, oh, I'm just seeing the same crap that I'm not interested in. So they're going to do right now, You the, or they, the days of organic reach are gone, just so you guys know. It's all about ads now. Facebook is the best drug dealer in the world. Facebook gave us all this free drugs and got us all hooked. Remember the days when you could post something and there'd be 500 comments and everybody who liked your page saw your post? Well, they dangled that little carrot for a while and they get us all excited. And then all of a sudden they started limiting that reach because what they noticed was not everyone that they showed it to was engaging with it. So they're like, hmm, so if we need to keep these people here as long as we can, we better show them things that they've shown that they're interested in. So that's when they started changing it. But they're like, but hey, Rick, if you really want to get it in front of these people, just buy an ad. Everyone went, oh my God, Facebook took my reach. Facebook's taking my fans. Well, if we're going to be honest, they actually belong to Facebook. Facebook's the one who did all the work to find them. They just gave you this platform to be able to have conversations with them. So the person who owns the audience makes the rules. So that's why I focus. I'm not, I'm not ever using a Facebook ad to send somebody to go listen to a song on Spotify because Spotify is not going to call me up and go, hey, Rick, just want to let you know, uh, you know, I'll, I see David here. Hey, David, this is Rick. 
He just listened to your song. Here's his contact information. You should go build a relationship with Rick. No, what Spotify is doing is sending Rick a whole bunch of stuff from Spotify saying, hey, if you like David, you may like this person. You may like Olivia. You may like Sam. You may like Jen. And I'm like, wait, now they're controlling the conversation and the relationship. So I send everyone to websites where we can then put a pixel on them. We can then go back and retarget them and have a different conversation. And for a lot of you, you're not going to understand what any of that just meant. And that's okay. Because if you DM me on Instagram, I'll send you a link for a free ads training. I created a great program called Ads Amplifier for Music. I went with an ad agency and I said, how do we do this? Nobody, most artists that I know can't afford $2,500 a month to hire an ad agency. And most ad agencies can only handle so many people. So whenever I find something, I just go out and I build it. So we built this great thing and I brought this guy in and we do a really cool training and teach you everything that they've done. But all I am is a solutions person. I don't waste time talking about stuff that I can't control. I don't waste time trying to figure out what somebody else thinks because I don't care. I focus on what it is that I can do to get my message. Last year, I spent over $160,000 on Facebook and Instagram ads to find you guys. Rick, we are going to transition here to, to a Q&A yep. in just a few minutes. I've got six questions uh, okay. lined up. Um, I did want to just ask you real quick before I had a question of my own is that you mentioned you left Taylor Swift in 2008. Uh, was it a messy breakup? And and were th are there any songs about this? No, I explained that I got with Taylor when I realized that I would lose my family. I just got with her and said, I'd be forever grateful for this opportunity. But my family means everything to me. And I gave my notice in January or in December of 2007. And I worked through the Grammys in 2008. So uh, there are no songs about it. I had nothing to do with the contracts. She signed at her record company. She was signed to the her record company before I got there. And no, I don't talk to her. Uh, we aren't, she's half the time in New York and not often do you have a relationship with employees who left. I don't know of any of you who own businesses or things like that, but yeah, no songs about it. Wasn't a messy breakup. Uh, it was just my family meant more to me uh, than her family. Because uh, usually she breaks things off and then writes a song about she it. She so does. Her just... mom was pissed. Yeah, her mom was pissed, oh, really? but Taylor understood it. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to try to get these questions. I, my dog is sure. barking at something, so I apologize if you hear that. Um, okay, question number one says, at what point should an artist think about getting a manager? Uh, when they have something to manage. When they are in a position to be able to compensate someone uh, for the job that they're doing, because that is an actual job. Uh, a lot of times you can outsource some of the things that you may not like to do. And we talk a lot about that in one of my other free trainings. Uh, you know, you may outsource people to do specific things for you, but you got to remember is that a manager makes 15%. If you're signed to a contract with a manager and you make, they make 15% of what you make. If you made $10,000 last year, they made 1500. Who can run your career for you for $1,500? So that's why I'm in the position that I am. I do virtual management for lots of people in a lot of different ways. But when you get signed to a label and there's contracts coming in every day and a lot of those things, that's when it's time to get a manager. Uh, just because you're writing songs and you think that they're going to book gigs for you, that's more a lot of that stuff you're going to have to do on your own or find people in your inner circle that can help you do that ahead of time.
I see a lot of independent bands who wear uh, each one has a, a hat to wear in addition to being a musician. Someone yep. takes care of social media. Someone takes yep. care of like the business side of things. Someone does the video or graphic design, things like that. Yep. Um, next question is, hi, Rick. I spent a year with you in MIB. I highly recommend your group. Thank you so much. Sorry about the dog. That's okay. Mine may show up second in a second, so don't worry about it. What kind of work ethic should an artist have today compared to two years ago? Uh, realize that, uh, like I said early, don't sit around waiting to be discovered. The key is, is that you've got to be the one driving your ship. You've got to be the one that's making sure that everything is right because it's your business. So uh, the work ethic right now is just working working smart. You are going to always work hard. You always say, work harder or smarter, not harder. No, work hard and smart. Just make sure that you're working on the right things. One of the things that people don't, they don't do well is get the proper guidance. I think that's the one thing that people miss out on is having the right guidance for any of this stuff. So who is the person that asked that question? It uh, doesn't say the name. I just have the question. Okay. I just want to say hello and thank you. Uh, it was you. Oh, what's up, dude? Vince. Vince. What's up, brother? Okay. Putting a hand up. Yes. Um, okay, on to the next one then? Yes, please. All right, number three says, if you had to teach an artist how to self-manage with the idea that they'll be in that role for their entire career and you only had one month to impart your knowledge, what would be your core areas of focus using the 80-20 rule? Very Who said, who's that person? That, I want to know who that person is. an analytical okay. person for sure. This is, this yes. is the way my brain works. So, uh, so please. So you need to learn how to delegate. You need to learn. So here's the thing. You focus on what you're good at and you outsource what you're bad at. So that's how we're going to do this. Too often, knowing that you're going to be the person, you try to take on all these roles. Guilty as charged. I built my first website and I was so excited I built the website until I ran into a kid after I'd spent 20 hours building this WordPress website. And he's like, dude, your website looks awesome. I'm a website builder. I'm like, oh, really? What do you charge? He goes, oh, I could have done that one for you for like 500 bucks. I wanted to commit suicide at that point because I, do you think I could have done better delegating my other, I could have hired this guy for 500 bucks and done other things. So delegation, get really good at delegation. Make sure that you're focused on what it is that you can succeed in. Uh, I do small little tasks. I do what's called the big three. Is it for the month, I have the big three. For the week, I have the big three. And for the day, I have the big three. And I work on the three things that need to get done to get me to that next. Because we're in a business of next. We're in a series of next. So if it's, I'm going to release an EP. Okay, great. Well, one, you need to get the music written. So focus on how that's going to get. So always start at the goal and work backwards when applying the 80-20 rule. Delegate the things that you're not good at. When starting your tasks on a daily basis, start with the easiest one first. For the psychological reason of being able to check something off your list or put a line through it, most people will jump into the hardest task first and it will kick their ass and it will never get done. And the psychology behind that is not good. So I've spent a lot of money learning the psychology of people to understand this. And I, that's where I went. It's called Five Years to Your Best Year Ever. And Michael, 
talk to that. There's also a great, if you guys want to write this down, 50 minute focus finder. So go to YouTube and type in Dean, D-E-A-N Jackson, 50 minute focus finder. And what he talks about is one, one task, 50 minutes, set the timer. When the timer goes off, get up, walk around, stretch, drink some water, start that 50 minute timer again, and just continue till you get this thing done. But it's just one of the greatest videos that I ever saw. It's called the 50 minute focus finder. Daryl Hers is going to jump back on in about five minutes here, Rick. So there are a couple questions left. Sure, keep going. I'm good. But I, I wanted, if I could only pick one, I think uh, this would be the one to wrap up with. It says, what is the one question that you don't get asked enough that you think we should be asking and should know the answer to? Where should I be investing in my business? Most people come to me after they've spent a lot of money and I look at it and I'm like, jeez. I wish you would have come to me before you that. It's like, where should I be investing my money right now? The other thing that I'm going to say to you right now is that no, make sure that your publishing is locked in so that you're getting the royalties that are available to you. Uh, I just had a client send me an email. He's like, oh my God, dude, you taught me about sound exchange. And I just got a check for $16,000 of past royalties that were owed to me goes back to that dysfunctional business I talk about. It's like, there's a lot of things that change every day. Not everybody collects the money and distributes it. There's a lot of different things, but you don't know what you don't know. When someone asked me one time, they said, Rick, what would you do different right now? I said, I would have bought a coach sooner. I said, I, pride, I, I was very prideful in wanting to accomplish all this stuff or whenever I'd go into a program, I would always buy the cheapest one. And as someone who spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on coaching and programs, now I say, what gets me the most access to the person in charge? That's the one that I want because I know that my time, I can speed the process up by the closer proximity that I have to the person who's the smartest. That's going to speed up my process, which is ultimately going to allow me to make more money, which is going to allow me to free up more time. Uh, go back to the who, not how. Figure out who's the who you're missing in your world right now. If you guys think that you've heard something, you think that I might be one of those who's, then DM me on Instagram, at Rick Barker Music. Go to socialmediaformusic.com. Watch some of the free resources that I have. I always tell people I earn the opportunity to make you an offer. It's like there's no place on my website where anyone can send me money. I want, to, I want to earn the right to be able to make that offer and that opportunity for us to be able to work together. So if you feel that you want to learn more about me and hey, being able to text me questions and email me questions and ask me questions on a weekly basis could help you right now, reach out. We'll send an application your way and we'll see if we're the right fit. Well, that sounds like a very valuable resource to anybody who, who joined this session. So Rick, thank you so much for your time uh, and your knowledge. Um, I mean, just jam packed with, with great information there. And also too, if anybody didn't get their question answered, go into Instagram, follow me at Rick Barker music, go to the message tab, hold down the microphone button and ask me your question. And I will hold down the microphone button and I will answer your question back. And for those of you that go, wait, I didn't know you could do voice messages on Instagram. It's the magic potion right now which is helping my artists build bigger email. I mean, I teach a whole strategy on that. I was the first person that really started doing it in a strategic type of way, but that's what you do. So M. Shaw, uh, I see a couple of questions here. DM me that and I'll come on in voice and I'll answer it back. 
and yeah, we'll go from there. All right. So uh, I am I am this Daryl, and I will flip it over now to the other Daryl. Daryl yeah. talks to bands. <laughs> awesome. Wow, Rick. Thank I'm you so much. That's, that session ah, was fire, man. That was that was just amazing stuff. And I have to really say, Rick answers. He answered me when I messaged him on Instagram. So so do it. Hit him up. And and you know we dropped links for the website, the podcast. Uh, you know, and like I said before, I was following Rick's Instagram prior and watching all the videos and, and even on Facebook, I saw the ads and uh, just being able to connect, connect with you, Rick. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. Oh, my uh, pleasure. All right. So that does it for this week's episode of the Indie Weekly podcast. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Taylor Swift's former manager, Rick Barker. That again was from the Indie 101 online music conference in 2021. We have the next Indie 101 coming up from May 1st to 3rd. As I said, it's online. Um, you can go to Indie101.com to uh, see what's coming, get tickets and that kind of stuff. If you're an emerging artist or on the industry side, like manager, agent, work at a label, anything like that, and you're really trying to get a better grasp of how things operate in the music industry at this time and the skills and knowledge you need to get ahead, that's what Indie 101 is all about. It's really there to teach the fundamentals of being an artist or a music industry professional at this time, this unique time in the music industry. So again, that's coming from May 1st the 3rd. Go to Indie101.com. And lastly, before we go, just want to send another big thank you to our sponsors and funders. Um, again, they are Slate Music, CD Baby, the CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, SEMA, SOCAN Foundation, and our newest sponsor, Cox & Palmer, who provide legal services for musicians and others out in Atlanta, Canada. We also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. All right, that does it for this week. We'll see you back here again next Thursday. Be well.